right, how we doing, community of faith? I think we should have had church outside today. It's beautiful out there. Glad you're joining us from home. Maybe you're out on your patio. That's a great idea. You know, ladies, I'm so excited about, y'all are so creative, Sladies Night. I, I thought at first it sounded like a horror movie, I'll be honest, but, but then I, I thought, that is such a, a cool idea. I tried to get Cherie to sing that, you know, Ladies Night song and the feelings right and all that. She didn't go for that. You never, never know what we're going to do that night. Yeah, well, that's true. That's true. Well, let's get started. Let's jump in. <laughs> I am super excited today. This is the start of our best gift season at Community of Faith, and it's my favorite time of year. I love collecting the stories, and I love being able to share these stories with you, uh, just stories of God's faithfulness, what he's done in response to your faithfulness to give and to pray and to go. So these are stories that come out of you out of Community of Faith and what you guys have done, and I love sharing that with you. You may not know, if you're new to Community of Faith, that um, obviously we've been here in Cyprus working for the past 20 years, but Community of Faith has also worked in 16 different countries around the globe over the course of these 20 years, and so um, we continue to do that, and I'm excited to share those stories with you today. Mark, for those who are new to Community of Faith, I wonder if you could explain to us exactly what is the best gift offering. I'm glad you asked, Laura. You know, when Laura and I uh, were on the mission field, we were in Mexico City for about most of that time, Costa Rica, Mexico City, and then at the last few months, we were in Cancun suffering for Jesus, you know, but um, we really discovered, I mean, we just, a heart for the whole world. And so when we came back to Houston, um, we had this, this dream of, having, you know, working with churches. In fact, what we're gonna do is work with churches and, and get this dream started. And it was, it was so hard to get churches to have that same heart. I think we as Americans, sometimes we get kind of caught up in our own thing. So we started a church that was gonna get it. And that's you and you have got it. I'm just telling you. So when you think about best gift, Christmas is a time for giving gifts. And what we decided way back at the early beginning of the church is that we get all caught up in Christmas. It gets really busy. Outlet Mall is crazy, you know, and, uh, but we forget the birthday boy. It's his birthday. And so we started all those many years ago, let's give our best gift to Jesus. Every Christmas, let's always give our best gift to Jesus. And so that's what we encourage you to do. And I think it's, it's an amazing thing that happens. Let me just read you a verse uh, that Jesus says, what happens when we give. In Luke 6, 38, Jesus said this, don't hold back, give freely, and you'll have plenty poured back into your lap. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, brimming over, you'll receive in the same measure that you give. And the amazing thing about this verse is Jesus isn't just talking about giving money, but he has been talking about a whole lot of different things. And he says, but when you give of your financial resources too, it just awakens all these other gifts that God wants to give to you. He's talking in that a lot about forgiveness, that forgiveness comes back to you. All kinds of things come back. You're able to forgive. So that's one of the things I, I love about giving is that it's kind of the, the, the thing that we do that awakens and opens up all the other things 
that God wants to do to bless us in our lives. So why is this offering in particular important to community of faith? Well, literally millions of dollars have been given out over these 20 plus years now, a little over 20 years that we've uh, been a church. We've given, we're, we're approaching the $30 million mark of what's been given out around the globe. That's you guys. And I, I think that's amazing. The, uh, I saw some statistics the other day that said the average church in America, there are 400,000 churches in America, and the average church gives two cents of every dollar that comes into the church to worldwide mission. Now, we give over 20 cents, almost 25 cents right now, of everything that comes in goes back out to worldwide mission. And so uh, that makes me excited for you. You know, I, I feel like that it's the most amazing thing that our church can be that kind of church. You're the church that Laura and I always dreamed of. So I've been asked this before, and I imagine other people may have this question. Does Community of Faith receive financial support from any other religious or nonprofit organization? Yeah, several of you have asked that. Like, are we part of a diocese or anything like that? No, we're just, we're a totally independent church. And so your gifts are what make things happen here and also all around the world. One of the, the great examples of just what one church can do when we really set our mind to it in Burundi, besides all the other things you've done where you're feeding tens of thousands of kids a day with our porridge factory that you built it, it, that gives fortified porridge, you've also started over 300,000 jobs in one little country in the middle of Africa, one of the poorest countries on, on the face of the planet. And that's just from you. In fact, it's, it's so exciting because Recently, as I shared with some of you, the United Nations has come and asked us to take over a big part of one of their big initiatives in Burundi. And I thought, how crazy that the United Nations recognizes the power of one church. And I just think that's a, that's a, a cool testimony to the world of really what Christianity is all about. So everything that happens in and through community of faith is 100% supported by the tithes and offerings of this church here. Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, a lot of churches, um, they talk about mission, and that was one of the things. When Laura and I came back from Mexico, we, we felt like that maybe we'll just start a, a kind of a, a little mission agency and get some of these larger churches in with us. And so um, I had some friends. We were in Costa Rica for a year. Uh, before we went to Mexico City, and I had some friends there. There was a place <clears throat> that had a lot of little street kids, and I thought, well, Costa Rica is a safe country. You know, Americans get worried about their safety. We could start there. We could build an orphanage, and we found land, and we we were looking at that project, and I, I went around to all these churches and said, for $200,000, you can build an orphanage in Costa Rica, and they would give me answers like, well, we have an orphanage for $5,000. And I said, no, you're supporting an orphanage. It's already there. I'm talking about you as a big church could do this yourself. And it was so interesting because I, for whatever reason, there was just no interest. Laura and I got really discouraged at first until God said, you start a church that gets it. And what I'm so excited about 
you built that orphanage in Costa Rica when we were still meeting in a school. Before we ever built our first building, you built that orphanage that's still here today. In fact, in a few weeks, Laura and I are going. We've now totally turned it over to uh, a Costa Rican church that we love, that we're partners with, Vida Abundante. And Laura and I are going there to share with them and talk to them uh, in, a, in just a few weeks on a Sunday to encourage them to keep that orphanage. We're still sending support for it, but they're running it completely. And we've just seen amazing things come out of that. And that's the heart of Community of Faith, right. I think. So everything Community of Faith does around the globe is 100% supported by the annual best gift offering, which is above and beyond our regular tithes and offerings, right? Right, right. You know, the Bible talks a lot about the tithe, and that's uh, 10% of your income going to the church that you support. And I always wonder why 10%, you know, but 10 is the number of testing. We see the 10 plagues testing the Egyptians and the 10 commandments testing our obedience. And so I think that's what God is saying. Give 10% to me and enjoy the 90%, you know. And I, I've just seen since Laura and I started that many years ago, God just blesses. And you've, each of you have got so many stories about that. But then at Christmas, we go above and beyond that. And we just say, God, you've blessed us so much. And we believe you're going to bless us this new year. And as an act of faith, we're going to give or we're going to pledge this amount of money extra even over that. And I've heard so many miracle stories. So I want to encourage you to just, just have faith. You know, when you write a, that number down on that card, uh, you're not locked into that. Nobody comes back and says, hey, you're $10 behind or something like that, you know. But I want you to have a lot of faith. I want you to say, God, what do you want me to do? And then I want you to write a number down that stretches you because that's what God's going to give you, a number that really stretches you, and watch him fulfill it. We've just seen miracles happen. We've seen businesses explode. We've seen all kinds of things happen because God is always looking for pipelines into his kingdom. So our best gift offering is is almost like our Christmas bonus that we give back to God, right? Right. <laughs> I have another question for you. Why do you think it's important that we give? Why does God command us to give? Why is giving important to him? I think the thing that if we realize that God loves us so much and he wouldn't ask us to do something if it wasn't in our best interest and God loves it when we give because when we give, we're most like him. He's a giver. God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his only son. Another place that says, if he gave us his son, won't he freely give us all things? We're most like him when we give. And then the other thing is that that giving opens up the doorway for him to bless us in every way that he wants to because we're showing obedience. We're walking in obedience with him. It's kind of a trust test, you know? And, and we have these, these different tests in our lives my dad, I told you this many times, but one of the things that stuck with me, one of the legacies that he left me, he used to always say, what we believe, we practice. Everything else is just religious talk. And, you know, I used to find it so amazing in America, in American Christianity, we would trust Jesus with our eternal salvation, but we really have trouble trusting him with our finances. And he wants to say, hey, trust me with all of it and watch what I do. It's kind of a, an amazing thing that happens. And 
I used to, I didn't like to talk about money. I remember the very first Sunday that we had community of faith and we were in Goodson Middle School and I, I was so hesitant. We'd have so many people far from God and, you know, so many people think of televangelists and, and, and they're, you know, asking for money all the time. They're going to send you something, you know, prayer rag or something like that. And, or if you give $1, you'll get $100. That, that's not what the Bible says. But the Bible does say that it'll open up the windows of heaven over you. And, and I think that's what, you know, that's what God loves. I realized at some point, I thought, that's where we put rewards up in heaven. That's where we build up treasure in heaven. And if I don't talk about giving, some of you are going to be real mad at me in heaven, you know, because, Pastor, why didn't you tell me that? And so I decided I'd rather have you mad at me for a few minutes here when I talk about it because it's so amazing when we talk about money how our shoulders tighten up. Somebody said, you know, the most sensitive uh, nerve in our body is the one that goes from our heart to our wallet, you know? And, and you, you can see that to be true, but I want you to love what is gonna happen in heaven when we get there by the crystal sea and throw our heads back and go, man, that was a ride, wasn't it? We get, we're in on this together. And we look and we have hundreds of thousands of people from India, Burundi, all over the globe that are there worshiping, that are going, thank you for introducing us to Jesus. Thank you for helping us eat and live and prosper, for getting, helping us get a job. That's gonna be the most amazing thing ever, I think. You know, Jesus talked more about money than he talked about heaven and hell combined. Did you know that? And I think that's because he knew our hearts. Let me just read you one of the things that he said in Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Jesus again talking. Do not store up for yourselves material treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where politicians break in, I mean thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart, your wishes, your desires, that on which your life centers, there will be your heart also. You know, some say, dedicate your heart and the money will follow, but that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, dedicate your money and your heart will always follow. Some of our hearts are chained with silver and gold chains to these temporary things on this earthly prodigal planet of ours. And he says, I want you to chain yourself to the things in heaven. I want your heart to be focused there. And as we give, that begins to change and move our hearts. Our hearts are movable objects. And when you wonder, why can't I just get so excited about God's kingdom? Why do I keep forgetting and, and getting caught up in these everyday worries and all this stuff? It's because that's where your treasure is. Wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart's gonna be. So Jesus kind of said it opposite from what you would think. Your heart will follow your treasure. And as simple as it is, it, it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of profound. Your heart follows your treasure. Let's focus on putting things up in heaven and having rewards and treasures there. Well, Paul talks a little bit too about how to do it. And I just wanted to go through that real quickly before we finish because 
Um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 11, he gives us some real clear instructions on how to give. So let me just read it for you and, and just walk through this with you just for a moment. It says this, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. So he's saying there's a law. It's called the law of the harvest. And that is that you reap what you sow and you reap in the manner that you sow. So when you give generously, it comes back to you generously. When you give out forgiveness generously, forgiveness comes back to you. When you give out mercy generously, mercy comes back to you. And I love that God set it up that way. And it works the opposite way. You know, if you give out unforgiveness and bitterness, it comes back on you. So uh, he's saying there's this law that happens all the time. Then verse seven says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart. And it's talking about a conscious choice. That's why I don't like it when people try to play on your emotions. You're gonna, you're, you're gonna hear some amazing stories from around the globe. But we don't show you, you know, like pictures of little starving kids with flies on them and stuff like that because even though that's true and they're there, we want you to hear the positive things that are happening that God's doing. I'm not trying to tug at your heartstrings and have you give emotionally. I don't want you to give emotionally. This verse goes on, it says, you decide in your heart what to give, and it says, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And it's, it's so interesting because it says, don't give under compulsion. In fact, if you ever at a place, if you ever go to a church or you, uh, a ministry of any kind, and, and you feel like you're almost like under the thumb, like if you don't give, you're just not spiritual and stuff like that, you just tell them, I'm not giving anything because my pastor said, don't give under compulsion. It's in the Bible. Don't do it, okay? And so that's not what we're gonna do. You're gonna have a little card and I want you to take it home and I want you to pray over it and I want you to get in your mind what God wants you to do because I don't wanna be like saying, oh, if you don't give, you know, this or that or if you don't give, we're, you know, we're not gonna be able to do these things and, and, and you're not gonna be able to, you know, rescue those little kids out of sex trafficking in India. It's gonna be on your head. That's, that's compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. In verse eight, it says, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. And then he has such a huge promise. Now, the one who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. God is always looking for pipelines into his kingdom. Now, there's some people that he gives a special spiritual gift of giving. Have you ever known people that everything they do just turns into like success and money, you know? 
I got some friends like that. It's a little aggravating sometimes, but you know, you just you, you know, they'll just say, "Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna invest in this." Is that really? Good? And it just blows up every time. They probably were designed to have a gift of giving, and so God says, "I'm gonna bless you, and you." be a pipeline into my kingdom, then I'm going to bless you some more, then I'm going to, and it just keeps going like that. I, I know one guy who said, I just want to live that way. And he started out giving 10% to God. And now he's giving 90% to God. And he's still a multi, multi-millionaire. And he gives God 90% of everything. It's like he learned that secret. And he's the most joyful guy I've ever been around. It's insane. Just to, you just want to, everybody just wants to hang with him, you know? I wish he went to our church, but, you know, the, the, the thing is, it, it's like this really, it's, it's just a cool thing when you start to really get it, start to really understand it. I think the thing is, God doesn't need our money. Obviously, he's God and he owns it all and he can do anything he wants to, but he wants our hearts. And he wants us partnered with him in the things that he's doing around the world. So now that you know what best gift offering is, and you understand a little bit about why I love sharing these stories with you, it's because you guys have given sacrificially. You guys have prayed faithfully. Many of you have volunteered with our local partners here across Houston, and a few of you have even traveled around the world to visit some of our international partners. I want you to know that you're making a difference. It matters what you do. It matters what you give. You're literally changing lives on a daily basis. You're bringing medical care and food. You're providing many hundreds of children, maybe thousands of children with an education. You're setting them up for success in life. You're sharing the saving gospel message of Jesus around the world. And I just want you to know that your gifts matter. And we're grateful. And I want you to know that, that God sees what you've done and he knows what you're doing. And he's taken every cent and he's multiplied it exponentially. And he's taken your gifts and he's done miracles around the world. So I'm excited to share those stories with you. And we want to begin today by sharing with you from our partners in India, Rescue Pink. I want you to take a look at this video first and then we'll connect with Sherry this morning. And be sure and ask Sherry about what happened yesterday. That was amazing. Love you. UNICEF says India is the most dangerous place to be a girl. With over 60 million missing girls in India, many are killed at birth. Some are trafficked, some are married at ages as early as nine. Some are sold into bonded labor. Girls hold such little value to the family that they're born into because they'll leave the family at marriage to take care of their in-laws, while sons bring in a dowry that will greatly relieve the financial burden on them. Sons are preferred, while girls are viewed as a burden. Extreme poverty-stricken families often feel that they're cursed upon having them. So when they know they won't be able to feed or educate her or provide adequate health care, they see killing her as a means of kindness helping her escape a long, slow death. Rescue Pink was founded on one question. What is the common thread? What is the core issue and how can we stop it? The issue is the value of women in India's culture. At Rescue Pink, our main goal is to create systematic change and to tackle this at its core, because once women and young girls are valued, then everything changes. In March of 2015, we hired an all Indian staff 
because we decided the best place to fight this was to fight it right in the communities in which it was happening. We launched our first center in October of 2015 with a primary focus on three things. The first was to bring young at-risk girls into our daily after-school program. Most of these girls live in tent cities and their families typically do not see them as holding any value. Girls that are vulnerable because of inadequate nutrition are given a free hot meal every day. We keep an eye on their health and give them free medical treatment when needed. We teach them the importance of education, providing the girls with tutoring and a focus on learning English, the country's national language. We work with them teaching them life skills to help them succeed, and we help promote their self-esteem, instilling in them that they are beautiful, strong, and brave. Looking forward 10, 15 years down the road, these girls will be able to go for higher education and be able to have jobs to provide for themselves and their families. These things will break the cycle of poverty they were born into for themselves and for future generations. Our second initiative is finding pregnant or lactating women in the community who are vulnerable and help facilitate a community for them. Most of these women have felt like property most of their lives and have never experienced the feeling of friendships and sisterhood. We provide the avenue to build these friendships in order to give support and encouragement to one another. At these gatherings, we offer them supplemental nutrition because most poverty-stricken women feed their families first and often nothing is left for them. We teach them about family planning and health and how to take care of their bodies, learning that the nutrition of the mother directly relates to the health of the baby. With this initiative, it gives the baby girls a strong start. The mothers are healthier, there are less complications during pregnancy and birth, and the child mortality rate dramatically decreases. This gives us nine or more months building trust with the women so we can help move them into our third initiative, the entrepreneurship program. As these women have lived feeling little to no value, we take these women and infuse them with hope, teach them to dream again. We offer them a community and give them business training helping them realize their own skills and talents and see how it can impact their communities. Once they are ready, we give them a loan of 150 US dollars, help them open a bank account, and help them launch their businesses. In the last two years, we've helped 115 women entrepreneurs launch their businesses, with every single woman doubling, tripling, and some even quintupling their household incomes. With their successes, it allows women to have a voice in their household about their own treatment, and the treatment of their daughters, giving them a sense of pride and of value. Only a few years in, and we are already seeing great change. As we grow, and with your help, we will continue to affect more of India, and we will change the value of the girl in their culture. Will you guys please help me welcome Sherry Naren, the founder and CEO of Rescue Pink this morning. Hi. <laughs> Hi, Sherry. I know you traveled Hello. to India just this week. I hope that, that all your travel went smoothly. I appreciate you taking the time to connect with us today. Absolutely. Everything went fine. And anytime I can be a guest there and speak, I will always say yes. <laughs> Rescue Pink's vision has been to see a country where every girl is respected, valued, protected, and empowered. And I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about the three areas where you guys work to make this happen in India. 
Yeah, so we focused down pretty hard on rescue, prevention, and awareness. And rescue is like the thing that we can do in the right now to stop a girl being given away either into child marriage, being trafficked, undereducated, malnourished. So we identify girls in the communities where we work that are very high risk. Either that or a lot of times we are told by the community things are being discussed or even some of our girls in our program have heard about it in school and will let us know. And so our staff will go and make a house call and work with the family, educate the family, encourage them, let them know that we'll stand beside them and support them if they'll not do these things and allow these things to happen to their daughters. So we bring the girls into our after-school program, um, start building into their own self-esteem and letting them know that they're valuable and worthy of all the things um, while we're working with the family over the years and just trying to change the mindset. And then we offer the girls like life skills um, higher education jobs in the city here require that the girls know English and that they are able to access and use a computer and they are not given those skills, you know, in the communities that they live in. So we offer all of those life skills and those um, access to those things through our center so that they are able to pull their own selves up out of those situations. Then we work in prevention. Of course, you know, that is really my heart that I strongly believe I'd rather a little girl not have to be jerked out of a brothel or rescued out of the hands of traffickers that if we can work on them never having to experience those things and work on the prevention side of it first, that is really my heart. And so a lot of the work that we focus down on is prevention work and working with families on the beginning side of those things to stop them from ever happening. Um, like an example of one thing we do to combat female infanticide is just our pregnant and lactating women's program, you know, where the girls can, the, the moms can come in and get supplemental nutrition where her health can improve and the baby's health can improve. But then when the baby's born, mom has healthy milk flow, so that's free food for their daughters. And then we've worked nine months with them building trust and saying, we will be there beside you and we'll support you in every way that we can and hopefully get them into entrepreneurship so that they can afford their girl and it doesn't feel like she's a burden and, and that you know she's in a really hopeless situation. And the third is awareness. Like in places like India, community is more of a focus than like individuality. Like in the West, we are more individual focused. What's good for me or my family is what we'll do. And in communal cultures like India, it's what's best is for the community has a stronger weight to it. So we do a lot of community education teaching about how a protected and empowered girl can have such a positive effect in their own family and in their own communities. So we do a lot of awareness. You founded Rescue Pink in 2015, and Community of Faith has been a partner with you pretty much from the beginning, but I feel like a lot has happened in just these short years. And I wonder if you could share a few of those numbers with us just to, to give us an idea of the impact you guys are having. Yeah, so um, we have four centers so far in three states. We hope to continue to grow that as we, as we each year to hopefully add. Um, we have 208 girls that we serve every day in our after-school program, 233 mothers in our pregnant and lactating women's program every year. Um, we treat over 2,000 in free medical camps that we offer, and that's just an avenue for us to find the most vulnerable because uh, girls aren't really afforded medical care. They don't, they don't 
believe that they're worth it or worth the money or the expense. And so if a mom knows that she can be given free medical care, then generally they'll bring them to us. And so that's where we can find ways to intervene. We've hosted about 2,500 plus in awareness programs every year. And we've launched um, 805 successful women entrepreneurs, but we have starting actually tomorrow we'll graduate some and through the end of this month, we'll graduate another 120 um, from this year that have just finished business training that will launch their careers um, starting in the month of December. Um, and that that's, you know, what is it? 925 women that their whole families have been affected. And most of those women have quintupled, doubled, tripled and quintupled their household incomes and able to have a voice in their households. So that's amazing. And it's not that the numbers are important, but every number represents a person and represents a family. And like you said, their futures. So I love, I love what God is doing. I wonder if you have any particular story from this year that stands out to you. I actually have one that I just got, I think it was yesterday or the day before. Um, one of our original Rescue Pink girls from our very first center, one of the first 15 girls, um, her story was that at age 13, her father passed away. So he was the sole income earner in the family. And because she wasn't really valued, the family was needing to find some relief. And so they were going to give her away into child marriage at age 13. We found out about it and went and intervened and worked with the family. And she joined our, our, our after school program. And for years, we worked with the family, changing their mindset, um, you know, keeping her in school, valuing her. And now she's 21 years old. This week, she graduates nursing school and she already has a job set up. Um, and she's the first generational change in their family, like that she's going to completely change the whole trajectory of her family and for future generations. So, and she's just one of so many, but I thought that was just the sweetest story that I heard this week from, from one of our original girls. And we have more, we have one that's in engineering school. We have one that's uh, a physiotherapist, one physical therapy assistant that we just have so many stories of, of girls and, and so many that are going to come in the future too. That's amazing. I love hearing those stories and, and seeing what God's doing. Um, you know, in India, we've talked about this before at Community of Faith, there's been a, a kind of crackdown on uh, religious organizations across the country, and, and they start looking at every nonprofit to say, what are you doing and, and why are you doing it? And just last night, you texted me and said, hey, can you please pray? And I wonder if you could share that story real quickly with us. <laughs> yeah, actually, um, you know, the, where I am right now in this center, um, the scrutiny is a little bit higher. Um, and so we don't really bring teams in here. And, and But I've been able to travel in and out pretty, pretty safely. But I checked into the hotel and about 24 hours after I checked in, they asked us to sign um, some paperwork saying that we weren't doing any Christian activity here. Um, and which, you know, that I was okay with. It was fine. But then uh, last night they called and were following up again and asking all sorts of questions about what we were doing, why we didn't have a second location, what, you know, just kind of really pressuring and putting the heat on us about what we were doing. And so we, you know, we were, that brought us a little bit more higher alert, but then we didn't, you know, we went to bed and didn't think much. Well, this morning, then we were questioned by the police. Um, and so I, we were really worried about the safety of our work. Um, 
because just because of the crackdown and we this kind of intensity I haven't experienced before and so I texted you I texted you know our board and a couple of our prayer team and this is like we we really need to pray for protection over our work because we've seen them shut down at the least little bit of things shut down nonprofits where you can't do any more work um here it's just everything is just really tense um and so I just kind of like relaxed a little bit. It's Sunday here. I mean, you know, it's nighttime here. So it's been Sunday all day. So I've just kind of been relaxing a little and we were praying. And then about middle of the afternoon today, um, one of our coordinators um, asked the guy who had been driving me around all week if he would take her to the police station. She really just wanted to go face to face and try to see if she could find out what was going on because they were wanting to visit, come to the center tomorrow. And we really didn't want that. And so... So she was driving with my driver to the police station. And he was like, why are you going to the police station? So she told him exactly why. And he pulled over the car and picked up this phone and made one phone call. And then he looked at her when he hung up and he said, I'm close as a brother to the PM of this state, the minister of over everything. And he goes, you will have no more problems ever in this state again. Um, and I was just, and we were like, our, our driver, you know, and it was just, I feel like God just answered that. I mean, he knew it was going to happen in advance because he put him as our driver and, you know, God just answered our prayers like in like, what was a half a day, you know, just to take away so much fear. And then also even going forward in the future of knowing that, you know, we don't have to be there. I mean, we need to be safe, but just not to be so fearful about, you know, the possibility of our work having to stop in this area and it's just so needed and so just so grateful for God to answer that prayer so quickly and because we were I was thinking I may have to leave early I mean you know it was just a lot <laughs> yeah and I'm so grateful that he allowed it to happen that way that he allowed us to pray and so we saw him work in response to prayer just a, a sweet reminder to me that our prayers matter um, all of your prayers matter all the times that you pray for things around the world and things that community of faith is doing it really does make a difference it 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 causes God to perform miracles on behalf of his people around the world. So I just want to thank you all for praying, and I want to thank God for allowing us to, to see his answer to prayer and letting us be a part of it. So you've been going for 15 years, and I wonder, you know, what do you see 10, 15 years down the road? What are your dreams for that? I would really love to see uh, one center in every state in India. That's a big dream of mine so that we can saturate the different areas because we've seen like great change in the areas where we're working. And so I would love to see that kind of multiply more and more. And so, and I have big dreams for um, girls' education, quality education that's more accessible to the poor. Um, so those are the things, two big things that I would love to see come in the next 10 or 15 years. Sherry, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for letting us hear from you. I want you to know you can count on the prayers of Community of Faith and our support and um, just travel. We'll have people there with you. Um, just know even on those days when it feels hard and the work feels lonely, um, that you're not alone, that you have our support and our love and our prayers. And we're so grateful for what you're doing and grateful that we can be a part with you. Can I pray for you this morning? Yes, thank you. Lord, we are incredibly grateful 
incredibly grateful for what you've done, for this dream that you placed in the heart of Sherry all those years ago and how you led her in 2015 to found Rescue Pink and, and just the miracles that you've done over these eight years that um, we've clearly seen your hand all along in every way. And God, just to even see it today, again, your answer to prayer and your provision of safety for Sherry, for the team, for the work there in this particular state. And so God, we thank you and praise you for that. God, we thank you for every young girl who's been impacted, every family who's been impacted, for those in the future, for what you plan to do. I know Sherry has her dreams, but God, I know your dreams are even more than that. So God, we just say, Come, kingdom of God, be done, will of God, upon Rescue Pink, through Rescue Pink, and we thank you and praise you for what you're going to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Sherry. Thank you so much, and thank you, Community of Faith, for all that you do for us. We are so grateful. I want to, I hope that all of you picked up one of these little booklets on your way in today. This is our our best gift booklet for 2023. If you didn't get one, please pick one up on the way out. These are just more stories. They're stories from here on our campus in Houston, stories from around the world. And I want you to be able to read them and know how God is answering and working in response to your faithfulness. There's probably enough in there that you can read one a day and then pray. Pray for that person. Pray for that organization. Pray for that country, that place where they are working. Um, Because as you see, prayer does make the difference. That's the work. So please take that home with you. Begin to pray through it. You'll also see in there um, the best gift offering pledge card. And that's something that we want you to take home. Like Mark said, begin praying asking God, what is it you want me to give? What should my best gift be this December? Talk to your kids, pray together as a family, um, and ask God to show you. And I imagine it's gonna be a challenge because that's the way he works. Um, And just take him up on that challenge. Say, God, I'll do it. I trust you and I can't wait to see your faithfulness and your miracles but we're excited to have you guys be a part with us, excited. Our best gift offering will be collected on the weekend of December the 10th. So I hope that you will pray between now and then and ask God to show you what he wants you to give. We love you guys. We know you're gonna have a great week. I'm gonna ask our prayer team to come forward. Um, If you need someone to talk to this morning, somebody to pray with this morning, they're gonna be here for you. Um, But we love you guys and we will see you next weekend.